I have announced to our church that we're having a special guest today. I don't very seldom do this, especially on holidays, but I felt along with my wife that it would be a great day. A wonderful lady, uh, not just because of what some people would think I would say that, but because she is truly a wonderful lady. Uh, She has been faithful. She has shared her husband with the world. She has been a part of Greater Life Church for a number of years. And fortunately, she introduced me to my first wife. And my only wife. I am thankful for Sister Leanne Hughes. Amen. She's going to be doing the speaking today. I love you, girl. If you're surprised, I'm more surprised. When he called me last week, I said, oh, yeah. He said, can you say something? Um, Mother's Day. I said, yeah, I can say a little something. He said, he started laughing, and he said, no, you don't know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about will you speak? I said, oh, I don't know if I can do that. (laughs) I said, that's different. But uh, Brother Joey, thank you for the first opening song because you said, I will say yes. And I was taught as a young person to say yes when you were asked to do something. Now, I would rather be teaching Sunday school up there to those little preteen girls and boys. That's my heart. And I want to put a plug in. If you have not found your place, if you go to Greater Life and you have not found your place, what to do, Sunday school is where to begin. They need Sunday school teachers, and that's a good place to start. And there's nobody going to love you any more than those kids. Sister Vicki, I'm so glad to see you. I am so glad. She's been out with an injury, and I know that's been hard on her, and we're glad to see you. Every song that, was, that you used today, the girls' quartet, it went along. I've heard my husband um, say when he got ready to preach how he said every, the, the songs just confirmed what I was supposed to say. And every song today, now I understand, honey, what you mean. Every song, it was just like, that was right, that was right. There have been some famous walls that have been built around the world. One that comes to mind is the Great Wall of China. Now, it's the only man-made structure visible from space with the naked eye. It stretches for 5,000 499 miles, and it took 2,000 years and several dynasties to build this wall. Now, the interesting fact about this wall is that it's not one continuous wall. 
but it's a collection of small walls. This great wall served many purposes. It kept out invaders. It was a physical barrier, not only, but it was also a psychological support to the residents because they felt safe behind this wall. Another famous wall was the Berlin Wall. After the war, it became apparent that the living conditions in West Berlin and um, West Germany and East Germany had become distinctively different. And so the Berlin Wall was erected in the dead of the night and remained a barrier for 28 years. Berliners were shocked when they woke up one morning. What had once been a fluid border was now a sealed-off border. Approximately 60,000 East Berliners commuted to well-paying jobs, and now they were prohibited from going to work. No longer could families, friends, and loved ones cross the border to meet. Whichever side of the border one went to sleep on during the night of August the 12th, they were stuck there for 28 years. Ronald Reagan's famous speech challenged those that attended that day to change for freedom and for peace. And during his speech, he challenged Russian Premier, Mr. Gorbachev, open this gate. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down these walls. Each of these walls, both of these walls, served a purpose. One was to protect and one was to isolate. One wall took many years to construct, while another wall was constructed within a few short hours. We as Christians have built spiritual walls in our own lives that protect us, and we also build walls that isolate us. These walls protect us from others in our life who may have hurt us or offended us. But we read about another wall in the Bible, the wall that Nehemiah refers to. It was torn down by the Babylonian army. The wall protected the capital of Jerusalem. It also protected the temple and it protected the inhabitants, and it protected everyone within those walls. Now, a wall to us means little to our cities, but in Nehemiah's days, they were as essential as they would be, as we would consider electrical power or the police force. The walls were important. They offered safety from raids, and symbolized strength, and they gave peace. In our own lives, we should always be rebuilding, reestablishing the walls that keep safety in our lives. The most powerful need in any human being is to feel safe. After being summoned, Nehemiah arrived in Jerusalem, and he was astonished to find the walls in ruins, and he wept. He wept over the ruins. He repented. He confessed. He hadn't been there. 
He committed, though, to rebuild. Not only did Nehemiah have to rebuild the walls, he had to rebuild ten gates. Not only are walls important in our life, but gates are important in our lives. Walls without gates produce isolation. If we establish gates in our lives, it allows good things and good people to come in, but it also allows bad things to go out. There are gates in our life from time to time that have to be repaired because of neglect. Now, the ten gates to Jerusalem were the Sheep Gate. The Sheep Gate was an important gate because it was where the sheep which were sacrificed into the temple were kept. The sheep gate, I didn't use my iPad like I should have, uh, was also the gate that Jesus entered through to heal the lame man at the pool of Bethesda. In our life, it represents the cross. And the sacrifice that was made to take our sins away. Everything starts and ends with the cross. The next gate we come to is the fish gate. Now that wasn't a very pleasant smelling place to be. It was used by the fishermen to bring their catch of the day and sold in the marketplace. But it reminds us of our duty to be fishers of men. Maybe this was not the most popular gate used in the city, but it was the one that brought life and it brought substance to the families. Years ago, a high school student was asked, how did you get along as a Christian at school? And he replied, oh, they never found out I was a Christian. Now that indicates there was a fish gate that needed repair. How do we reach the lost when we have nowhere to lead them through? The old gate was next. Now this gate represents truth. The world we live in is constantly proposing something new. In our day and time that we live, and this is probably the easiest gate to allow to crumble and to lay in a heap of ruins. Truth is always old and proven. And upon old things, that new must rest. There is a saying that goes, whatever is true is not new. And whatever is new is not true. Men and women, I'm sorry, I should have got a folder. Men and women always are throwing away old and looking for new and better. Truth will never change. If it was true 50 years ago, it'll be true today. It was true when God uttered it, it'll be true tomorrow. It'll be true in the future. There's a story about a man who went to visit an old musician. And he knocked on the musician's door and he asked, What's the good word for the day? 
And the old man musician didn't say a word. He just turned around and he went back across the room to where a tuning fork was hanging. Now, a tuning fork is a two-pronged steel device used by musicians, which vibrates when struck, and it gives a specific note or pitch. He took the hammer, he struck the tuning fork so that it resounded through the room, and the musician said, that, my friend, is an A. It was an A yesterday. It was an A 5,000 years ago. It will be an A 5,000 years from today. Then he added, the tenor across the hall sings off key. The soprano upstairs is flat on her high notes. And a piano in the next room is out of tune. He struck the tuning fork again, and he said, that is an A, and that will never change. And that is the good word for today. That is truth. God always has a clear sound. Don't allow the old or truth gate of your life to come in disrepair. Because you're listening for a different sound. The valley gate is the one that represents humility. Now, our world waits for the applaud of praise and pride. And there is not one of us that is not indispensable. And we learn that through trials and valley experiences. Not many things grow on the mountaintops. There is only a good view. But things are nurtured in the valley. We come next to the refuge or the dung gate. That's not a very pleasant sound or name. But it's a necessary gate to take out the rubbish and the corrupt things of the city. We must take out rubbish of our life. The fountain gate was next. And after the removal of the stench from the refuge gate, And the garbage, that's where we're cleansed and that's where we're washed. Next is the water gate. Water has always been a symbol of the word of God and baptism. Now the amazing thing about this story is that gate did not need repair. The word of God never needs repair. It is totally intact. It was an intact back then. It is intact now. It never needs improvement. It never needs repair. It lasts forever, and it's true. This gate just needs to be refurbished. The horse gate represents battles. Our families, our marriages... And our children are under attack. And we need to stand ready and equipped with the whole armor of God. We need to be ready to do battle, to defend, to protect. How do you do that? Prayer, fasting, and being available for your family. The east gate faces the rising sun and is the gate of hope. This is the gate we should be looking through for the returning of the Lord. The last gate, the inspection gate. The word inspection means appointed place. 
This is a gate of examination. It's a reminder that we must give an account of our journey. We go full circle and it takes us back to the sheep gate where Calvary is located. And Calvary was just a few hundred feet outside of the sheep gate. It starts with the cross. It ends with the cross. It took Nehemiah 52 days to rebuild this wall. And Josephus tells us that the walls were 4.5 miles long and it covered 960 acres. That's a lot of wall. It took people working together. It took men. It took women. It took children. It took families working together. Now, the interesting fact is the people repaired the gates outside of their home. Nehemiah tells us that, that they worked on the gate that was right outside of their home. They didn't depend on someone else to come and repair their gate. They saw the need and worked until it was repaired. Individually, every one of us have gates that need repairing. They may not be the same gates, but we all have gates that need repairing. I know in my life I did. I had made sure now that the sheep gate was in good working order because I wanted Jesus to be able to come and go in my life anytime he wanted to. I made sure that I believed that the truth had been handed down to me and it was still instilled in my life. But there was one gate that I had not repaired. I kept climbing over the rubble of it day in and day out. Someone asked me to tell a little of what I told at the ladies' tea when I talked about life's curves. Um, I was born in 1950 to parents that had just came out of World War II. My dad had been in the Navy and married my mom, and she was 18 years old. Now, he was an only child, but she was the princess of the family. She was from a family of six, but she was the only girl. Their life in those days was just trying to make ends meet because of the war, but they were always partying. They always had enough money to party on the weekend. Divorce soon came, and life for me was decided who took custody of my brother and me, and finally ending up at the age of three with my paternal grandparents and my dad. Now, my grandparents' house was small, so my brother and I slept on army cots with a sheet, a pillow, and a blanket until I was 10 years old. That was life. That was normal. All of us, there are people in here that have stories to tell of growing up, and that was just normal. What happened? That was your normal. My dad was drunk 80% of the time. When dad was one of, in one of his drunken rages, I would be so fearful that I would run across the street and hide in the neighbor's closet. He would threaten to kill us. He would pull a knife on us. Um, just we never knew how he would react. A good Christmas was not what I got for Christmas. A good Christmas for me was if Dad was not drinking. 
Mother only had time for me when she wanted to, and that wasn't very much. I remember waiting during the week, wondering if Mother would have time for me this week. Would she come and get me? Would she take me somewhere? Would she take me to her home? I never knew if she would show up or not. Maybe this would be the week that she would come and pick me up. I was introduced to the church when I was 12, and that was my salvation. The people of the church were concerned about me. They cared for me, and they were there for me. I was probably about 14 years old. I was so consumed with the church. I remember I was sitting like maybe where Sister Madden was. It's where the young people sat. And I can remember my dad stumbled down the aisle in the middle of a church service wanting to sit with me. I was so embarrassed. And I gently let him out of church. After a few years, he became sick and was in the VA hospital. And he told me, he said, if I ever get out of the hospital, I'm coming to church. That never happened. You know, it was easier for me to deal with dad's drinking than my mother's rejection. Time went by, and I married into the Hughes family. And Sarah has already said it. God, I said last week, God orders your steps. And he ordered mine. He ordered mine into the most wonderful family. I told Nick I wasn't going to cry. I'm telling you, it went from black to white. It was such a contrast of a family that loved each other and prayed for each other. And God was good to me, and he knew what I needed. And they were always there for me. In 1996, my mother's health failed, and she could no longer take care of herself. My brother had literally checked out of her life, literally, and basically out of my life. So I went through the motions of taking care of her because I just knew that that was the right thing to do. It wasn't because I wanted to, but it was because it was the right thing to do, and I just did it out of duty. Sometimes we do that. We just do things out of duty. We may not feel it. But we just do it out of duty. Her becoming so dependent on me made me realize how angry I was at her. I just kept stepping over the rubble of the refuge gate, allowing bitterness to build in my life. I was angry because she was never there for me. I was angry at her that she rejected me. I was angry. I was just angry. My family didn't even know it. My husband and my children had much anger. I went through the motions of going to church. I told them at the ladies' tea, here I was. I, I was a Christian. I had taught Sunday school. We had started a Christian school. My husband was a minister, but there was anger in me. I was angry because she wasn't there for me. She only thought of herself, and she only wanted to do what she wanted. In Ju July of 1977, I lost my first child. I was far enough along that we had to have a gravesite. 
I was so devastated. And Mother, she never even came to see me. She never even mentioned it. She just never said a word to me. She never gave me one word of sympathy. I was angry. Finally, at the age of 48, I had gone through all these years. I realized the angriness and unforgiveness in my heart toward her. I had just kept moving the rubble around so I could step over it. I just kept sweeping the anger away. And one night at church, I was willing to lay it down and not act on it anymore. Did I confront her with it? No. You see, the forgiveness was in my hands, not hers. I came to the place where when God said, honor your parents, I just honored her because that's what I was supposed to do. Pages keep sticking together. I had to clean up that gate. I had to take the trash of unforgiveness out. I had to sweep up that anger. Even though she only had a few years left, I was determined they were going to be the best years for me with her. Two years. Taking care of my mother, I wanted to set an example. I wanted to provide security for my children. I wanted to provide security I never felt. I wanted to guard my home and not allow the world to invade my home, not on my watch. Nehemiah had completed his job and had signed gatekeepers to watch over the gates. He put his family in charge of watching those gates. Mothers, you are the primary gatekeeper of your home and your children and your husband. And if you neglect to protect those gates, the enemy will come in and destroy what you have built. Be careful who or what you let within the gates of your home. Go back and revisit the gates of your life. Protect the gates of your home. And guard the gates that protect your children and your husband. What is inside those gates are the most valuable things you have. Katrina, will you bring the baby? Nehemiah instructed us not to open the gates until the sun burned hot. The sun can only burn hot on a bright, sunny day. The gates could not be opened if it was overcast, cloudy, or foggy. And that means you can't open the gates until you see what's on the other side of the gate. I asked Katrina to come up here. This wasn't even planned, but when she sat down in front of me. Now, Katrina hasn't been raised in the church. Katrina is just a new member. And Katrina hasn't had a real good life. But the Lord has led her to greater life. And we are so excited about that, Katrina. (laughs) Katrina, I see me in you. And I know that God has his hand on you. And I know that God is going to keep you. And he is going to do something great in you. And you that are members of greater life, you need to be the mother 
you that help with people when people like Katrina come into our church. You need to help and encourage and be that mother, that inspiration that they need. This little baby, there are babies all over the world, and they are innocent. But you know what? We can go out of here and we can protect and we can build gates, and we can build walls, and we can communicate to people. How innocent this child is proves the innocence of how life is. I want the mothers of today, today, that we as mothers reevaluate what's important to us. I want us to rebuild whatever has been torn down. So that we can help people like Katrina. Not only our own families. We can't limit it to just that. We have to go beyond that. And whatever has been torn down or whatever has ceased to work or has been neglected for us to repair it. All of us know what areas of our lives need repair. Some of us may need to be, go back and revisit the word. Some of us may need to go to the refuge. Some of us may need to go back and recommit at the sheep gate. But make this the best Mother's Day for your children by making sure that the gates of your life are in working order. I'm so thankful that God allowed me to come to greater life. I am so thankful. I feel like that that was just an extension of the family that he gave me. Because I feel close to the ladies around here like you're my sister. I never had a sister. And I feel like you, I, I glean strength from you. I not only want to give strength, I want to get strength from you. Thank you so much for coming. All of the children that came to be with their mothers, you don't know what it does to a mother. Sister Madden, I applaud your children coming because you're a wonderful mother. You're a wonderful mother. Thank you. God bless you. Hopefully just something I said will stick with you a little bit. I hope you have a wonderful Mother's Day.